Good evening, everybody. How's it going? How are you all getting on? Jesus, like a funeral. <laughs> Don't worry, we've things to give away. We'll, we'll sort you. We've got, um, well, firstly, you're very welcome to our Six Nations preview with the man himself, Simon Zebo. Um, we do have a signed Ireland jersey to give away. We've got a pair of tickets to the big game at the weekend. But, but they're for us. Uh, no, no, we'll sort you out. We'll sort you out. So if you want to ask a question, um, all you have to do is uh, tweet using the hashtag the 42 Zebo. And if you're not on Twitter, Firstly, well done. Uh, but secondly, we'll be going around with microphones a little bit later on. We'll get your questions for Simon or for Murray at the end of the show. Um, this is brought to you in association with Glenvay Homes. We're great. Uh, we're delighted to have them on board for the event. And uh, we're looking forward to having a, a cracking night. Um, my own name is Gavin Casey, but that's enough for, from me, rather. Uh, can I please introduce to the stage my esteemed colleague, a man who, in my opinion, is the finest rugby journalist in the country, and the best. Um, he is the son that your parents wish they had. Uh, he is the riding pride of County Waterford, Ireland. Will you please welcome Mr. Murray Kinsella, everybody? Thank <laughs> you, man. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thank you very for well. a lovely, lovely introduction. Ah, listen. Had to, had to say something, right? <laughs> yeah. Hello, everyone. How are you? How's your week going? Yeah, good week, really good week. Um, it's bored the shit out of me, in John Mitchell's <laughs> word. Uh, no, no, it's been a good build-up. Um, just looking forward to tonight and, and to Saturday and getting stuck in, yeah. Now, I don't know about yourself, but I spend an enormous amount of my time thinking about Simon Zebo. Um, <laughs> yes, as do I. As especially do I. since he left Monster. You know, I wonder, is he, is he okay? How's yeah. he getting? We'll find out all of this later on. You can kind of follow his Instagram to find out. Yeah, well, that's true. That is true. But uh, the video clip there of him scoring in school. It was a Monster School's Senior Cup final. He was playing for Prez, um, a marvellous try. I wonder if we could just have another look at it there, if you don't mind. <laughs> I just wanted to... Good footwork. Now, I don't know if you noticed. Um, I don't know if you caught that there, Murray, but he seems to almost teleport over the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a really kind of innovative approach to the game, something I haven't yeah. seen uh, done before. Now, unfortunately, I actually went to the school that he scored against, uh, so yeah. it broke my heart that day, but what, that was when I first became aware of him. Uh, I stumbled upon that footage on YouTube and was wondering, I suppose, where we stood with regards to the rights of showing it. Um, as we know, Satanta is kind of no longer a thing, but one of my issues was who uploaded this footage? I mean, like, you know, who owns it, technically speaking? Um, now, as it turns out... Um, <laughs> I think we're okay. Um, <laughs> He's not happy with you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> your own, uh, your first uh, memories or yeah, first impressions yeah, of the um, main man? I was young enough, lad, I think... Uh, probably 18 years old, I think I remember going to, I think it was Munster under-18s trial, which I was actually overage for, <laughs> that's a different story, Same but uh, went away to the trial anyway, and there was two kind of squads of players, the coaches split us up, and they said, like, you know, come up with your own moves, come up with your own tactics, figure it out for yourselves, maybe tell each other your strengths and your weaknesses, all that, that kind of stuff. Um, so all the nerdy lads like myself were kind of talking about moves, all that. Simon Zebo was kind of sitting quietly in the corner, and then after about five minutes of this chat, he goes, no, 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 no. Just give me the ball. <laughs> so I was struck immediately by 
his self-confidence, I guess. And uh, I think he scored a hat-trick in that trial and has been scoring tries ever since, so yeah. Yeah, so he got the ball in the end. <laughs> yeah. well, that, they were our introductions to him, but now it's time to introduce him to everybody who's come out to see him. Would you please welcome to the stage, Simon Zebo, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> How are you getting on? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Very some, good. Some nice memories there. I know you were at an awkward angle, but um, the try that you scored against Christians, that was certainly where, where your journey started, for me anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's how I became aware of it. Um, that's obviously school's cup season now as well. Mm. How much do you could sort of cherish that memory of, of uh, reigning supreme in Mosgrave Park? Yeah, it was a great day. Um, got to score a try, and I still look at the YouTube clip all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Once a week now that it's school's cup time of season. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was kind of like the first moment or the first taste I got of... Uh, Big game rugby, big pressure, big atmosphere, and things like that. So it was the two Cork schools in the in the cup final, and it was uh, it was good to to get one over them that day. So it really gave me a a real nudge and a, a want to 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 get to uh, Pastors New, you know. So absolutely, it's yeah. We'll pick it up um, later on, like as as uh, with regards to where it went from there. But just in terms of your career in the present day, I mean, you're you're down in France, um, presumably enjoying it. You seem to be. Mm. It is a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> Paris is cool. It's um, it's probably uh, one of the best cities in the world for me, you know. And um, we've got a, a great setup with a real ambitious team that uh, want to to right or wrong from last year in the Champions Cup final against Leinster. So um, it's great to be a part of it. They've got some. Well, we've got some world class players, you know. I've. Uh, spent enough time playing against them and dreading the thought of facing, you know, Vakatawa and Teddy Tama and all these guys. So to be on the same team as them now and um, to be able to, to to give a bit of impact is uh, is something very special in such a short uh, period of time. Does how, it take a while for? Sorry, Mark. sorry. I was going to ask how like how important is the life off the pitch for you because you seem to be absolutely massively enjoying that aspect of things as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's huge. You know, it's uh, my family are happy. Um, my two kids, my, my son's in a bilingual school, um, my daughter's in an all-French crash then, she's a little bit younger, so they're, they're all happy, they've got their friends, my missus is working away and happy out, and, and I'm uh, in training all day, yeah. <laughs> um, enjoying uh, the company of the French lads, getting used to the new environment, and um, Finn Russell is actually living on the same street as me, or just around the corner, Teddy Thomas lives around the corner as well, so it's... Um, you know, we've got our own little uh, social circle and we go to restaurant dinners and we go for drinks and uh, to the playground with the kids, you yeah. know, whenever. So it's, uh, it's great. It's a, it's a great balance, you know, because obviously Paris is a big soccer city, so the rugby players are almost anonymous over there. Um, so the anonymity of it all is, is quite nice going to the park with the kids. And, you know, it's just, just, just a good balance, you know, you're, uh, you're able to um, enjoy the city and also have a great time playing mm. rugby, so. How important has Donica Roy been to our skin, as you call him, is it? Skin, yeah. <laughs> he's been good, he's been good. He's, um, he's, uh, he's flying the flag over, definitely. Um, he's the man to go to if you want to get an Irish stew if you miss home. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he's a complete bogger, lads. Uh, <laughs> what, did French make, what, what do the French lads make his bogger They don't understand him half the time because <laughs> he'd be like, well, bonjour skin, how's it going? You know, <laughs> Like, what did you say? <laughs> That's what you get all the time. Uh, 
So um, he's, uh, he's still adapting. He's a year into French classes, and he's still at uh, a square one. But he's, uh, <laughs> he's loving the life. He's loving the atmosphere. And um, he's playing some good ball still for such, a, yeah. for such an old guy. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Donners is happy. You got your dodgy box, did I hear? You got me a dodgy box, yes. <laughs> so I can keep up with RT, TV3, watch the Late Late Show with a cup of tea. Uh, it's good, yeah. Skin, he's very well connected already. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he's got me the dodgy box. Just picking up on, on something you were saying a minute ago when you, you called Rassing they and then corrected it to we, does that <laughs> ad adaptation take a while, actually? It does, yes. First time I've experienced playing in a new club. It's... Um, it was bizarre at the start, you know, because I'd be watching some Monster matches, like, go on, lads, oh, I'm not playing with Monster <laughs> anymore, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit strange um, coming into work every day, and it's just totally new people, new setup, new city, new adventure. So it, it hit me at first, but um, now I'm, I'm, I'm well used to it and, uh, yeah, loving it. On the rugby side of things then, what are the biggest differences you've noticed in terms of even maybe game preparation, training, things like that? Um, I think the weeks or during uh, the week of a big game would probably be a bit different over in, in Racing. I think the, the players will be a lot more laid back. Um, it's, it's, it's a different environment. It's hard to, to compare the two because like, they're, they're more laid back and more easygoing in Paris, but you know, the squad is littered with world-class players. You, know, you could put out two 15s. So I think everybody knows to, to leave each other to their own devices and prepare their own, their own way to prepare because it's only them who know how to turn up on a weekend as opposed to being at Munster. Um, if it's a big match and I'm taking drop calls from the five-metre line, people come over, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> I get a, a bollocking. So um, it's just totally different. It's um, everybody's fully on task, fully focused, disciplined in Munster. And it's just a little bit different um, over in wrestling because... Probably to do with the fact there's, there's more big games, I, I feel, in, in, in France. Like, um, when you're playing Claremont at home, the president doesn't want you to lose. If you're playing Stade at home and you lose, it's World War Three. as opposed to, you know, if you're, uh, if you're going away to Zebra or Treviso or Glasgow or Edinburgh, you know, the level of um, those high-end matches in the league are, are definitely a little bit different. So that, maybe yeah. it's down to that. That's interesting about, like, training, because I guess the view over here would be sometimes maybe there's a lack of professionalism. Or mm. Some of the coaches are kind of cowboys in France, but it's just probably a different approach to getting the same outcome, I guess, is it? Yeah, it, it is a different approach. Um, yeah, it's hard to put your finger on it. I think it's very different in wrestling than it is to a lot of other clubs, just from talking to other players and, and um, you know, talking to the French players themselves. Um, we got a pretty good in wrestling, and it's a pretty international uh, team, you know. It's... Um, like a lot of the players, as, as I said, were world-class, you know, so yeah. there's not a lot of uh, slacking off because the players will tell you too as well. You know, they give out to you if you're acting the mick or taking the complete bollocks, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a player-driven club, and um, I, I've heard that it, a lot of other clubs are a lot less disciplined than we, <laughs> we would be, yeah. So it's, uh, we've, got a good, uh, <laughs> we've got a good mix and a good bunch of guys who are actually very, very driven to win. Yeah. You know, and I think they've tasted uh, success in the top 14 win. They've been to the Champions Cup a couple of times and they like the feeling of winning. Uh, so it's, um, it's good that I've gone from one ambitious club to another and it's, uh, I haven't kind of slacked off in my uh, 
um, determination to win trophies. Yeah, well, it's been really enjoyable, to, obviously, to watch on the pitch, especially yourself and Finn Russell, who you mentioned, mm. and Teddy Thomas before he got injured. Does it feel like you've settled into a squad who have players with very similar approaches to the game as you? Definitely, yeah. Um, Finn would be very similar in, in my approach. He's a bit of a lunatic. <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's just play what you see till you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. He, he doesn't care if he makes three mistakes, doing three offloads. He's going to try it the fourth time and if it comes off, great. You know, so he'd have a similar approach to me. It's, it's just a very positive mindset, you know. It's not yeah. a, um, whether we win or lose, you're, you're going to do what you feel you can do and, and give it your best. The only way you know how, and that's to play the game, we, we try to play the game. So we hit off from the start. We were good friends off the park as well. He calls over to the house all the time and, and, and vice versa, so... Um, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of players with real high skill sets that want to play that way. So I think that's why we gel together and, and when, we're, when we click as a team, we're pretty hard to stop. So it's good. Like when, you, uh, when people view the kind of relationship that you guys have, like it's very apparent on the field that you get on well off the field. But what comes first in that scenario? Like, do you realise, oh, I like this fella and then the, the relationship on the field develops? Or is it that you, because you have a similar approach to rugby that maybe you can get on off the field? Yeah, I think it's because we have a similar approach to rugby and a similar approach to life as well. You know, he'd be very laid back uh, customer off the pitch. Um, and I think it's just, it's, it comes probably from off the pitch to on the pitch, you know. So on the pitch, it's easy for him to communicate with me because he'd speak English on the pitch. When he speaks French, nobody understands what he's talking <laughs> about. So, um, uh, yeah, I'd be his, his go-to man to, to communicate with and, and to try things. It's easy for me when I'm playing a fullback. To, to come and find them and run offload channels, run for chips, chip kicks or, or anything that we, we see as on, we, we tend to do together, so it's good. I suppose we hear often that the top 14 is prioritised by many clubs over uh, the Champions Cup or, or whatever it's called at that particular moment in time. Uh, Racing clearly, I think, having gone to, gotten to the final and come so close last year, they're going to want to probably get the monkey off their back and mm. it's different there. Do you find, though, that the attitude in France, generally speaking, towards European competition is a little bit more lax than it would be where you were coming from at Munster or in Ireland, for example? Not in racing, anyway. Mm -hmm. In racing, it's, it's definitely um, uh, full on to win the Champions Cup. It, like You have a big, massive poster in the gym of the Top 14 trophy and a massive poster of the, the Champions Cup right next to it. You know, it's, um, I, the president, this all stems from the president. The, the president is a very um, successful man, but still very, very ambitious for his club. Uh, wants us competing on both fronts consistently and um, it's almost actually similar to Munster in fact I think it actually goes up a level when it comes to Champions Cup because the coaches are always saying you know it's six matches as a sprint as opposed to uh, the top 14 and maybe it's just unique to our uh, environment and our team but uh, I think it, it definitely goes up a level in the Champions Cup for us which will be very similar to Munster um, so that really, really appeals to me, you know, coming from Munster, seeing the success they have. The Champions Cup is always the, the, the goal you want to achieve. The Pro 14 is still a goal you want to achieve, but it's obviously can't compare to Europe. So um, for me, it's just, it's been, it's been uh, very easy transitioning over to the same team, same ambition. Tell Thanks. us about the, the president. Is he larger than life? Are you, keeping his, are you keeping his good books? I'm trying to keep in his good books, yeah. I'm offering him coffee every morning, breakfast. Hey, sir, how are you? <laughs> uh, anything I can do to get a few, few pounds off him. <laughs> uh, but he's, he's a good fella. He's, 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 he, he comes across, like, you know, as a, 
you know, real dominant personality, but he's actually a really, really uh, softly spoken, gentle, um, yeah, successful man. And he, um, he just really wants to win. He, he puts his life and soul into anything that he does, whether it's his business outside of rugby or rugby itself. So, um, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a really good guy, very approachable and um, very wealthy. Yeah, that's handy. <laughs> I want to ask you about the stadium. I'm, I'm guessing you like the stadium no, because I don't, I don't know if people have been there to the U Arena. Mm. Like, there's a massive, like, jumbo screen yeah. and there's a lot of images of Simon Zebo before the match kind of posing <laughs> or whatever in your blazer. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. A, but it's a weird place to play, isn't it? Kind of, I don't know, feels surreal almost. It does. It takes a, it takes a bit of getting used to. Um, I think the first time we went over with Munster was one of the first couple of games that was played there. And it was, you know, we went did our captain's run, but you're still during the game. You're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. You know, there's cheerleaders over there. There's a band <laughs> over there. And you're like, Jeannie, Mac, this is mental. So um, it took a bit of getting used to it. It took me five or six games to, to stop looking at myself on the big screen. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> watching highlights of myself trying to get off. So, uh, yeah, it took a bit of getting used to it, but uh, it's, it's special when there's a, a big crowd there and, and they really make an effort to make the atmosphere really, really cool. So it's very, very in. You've got a, a tasty enough quarterfinal in Europe as well, and kind of mm. fittingly, it's a domestic clash within European competition. Clearly, uh, you're going to go into it and, and fancy your chances, but just over, your overall thoughts and maybe what were you thinking when you wound up drawing to lose, um, given that you'd be quite familiar with them versus some of, uh, some of the other uh, potential opponents that were there. Yeah, um, I don't think they wanted to score too many tries in their uh, <laughs> last group game to avoid Leinster. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a very tough game. They're a hell of a team. Um, they're, they're probably a bit like us, you know, when they turn it on and they really click for 20 minutes, 30 minutes of a game, they're pretty hard to stop. So. It's probably uh, it's going to be an open game, I'd imagine. Both teams going out trying to play. Um, we'll have Finn back, who will definitely uh, go into the game with that attitude. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a dangerous encounter. Cheslin Colby, that South African winger they have, is playing some good rugby. They've got world-class players everywhere. So, it's <laughs> probably would have preferred another team to play in a in a quarter-final at home, but um, you're, you play the hands you're dealt, and uh, we've got a mouth-watering quarter-final coming up. Will we ever get you back home, do you reckon? Ah, we'll see. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see how uh, Mr. Uh, President treats me in the next couple of years. <laughs> um, take us back then to even before the try that we showed earlier in school, but you would have played um, hurling and Blackrock as well. Um, mm. Where did the interest in rugby come from and where did it start? Um, it started probably when I was five or six years old. Um, I um, got invited up to Cork Con by a, a, a family friend, and it all kicked off from there. Um, it, was, it was touch rugby, you know, mostly back then, so I was enjoying running around fellas and not having to tackle too much. Just thought, you know, <laughs> go down. Um, so it was, it was good fun, and then when we got to school, it went up another level. Um, there was big talk behind the school's cup junior and senior, so to get a taste of that, that was, as I was saying earlier, it was like incredible atmospheres to play in, especially when you were playing Christians. So I think the love for the game really accelerated uh, when I got into, into school in such a big rugby school. So um, yeah, I, ever since I was uh, 2006, probably when Munster won the first Heineken Cup as it was then, um, and I saw all the people, you know, I was at the stadium that day as well. And, you see the people on the big screen back in Limerick, that's when you're like, okay, I really want to be a professional rugby player, I really want to play for Munster, and 
I can get a taste of that. So unfortunately, it didn't happen so far in my career, but um, I never know. Maybe in the future. Yeah. <laughs> was it in? Was it in your, Like, did your dad play, or was he an athlete? No, no, he never played. He play, He came from a small island out in the Caribbean, and they don't have rugby out there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what do they have? <laughs> They've got um, soccer, uh, athletics, um, yeah. cricket. That's about it. They don't. Uh, <laughs> they're too uh, laid back for rugby, yeah. definitely. Um, <laughs> but he was he he was the athletic side of the family, and my sister went on then to represent Ireland in um, European Championships and World competitions and things. So uh, she went down the athletics route, and I went down the rugby route. So, yeah, um, yeah, it worked out alright. Worked out right. You mentioned school there. I want to hear about when you first met Peter Romani and what he was like, mm. and what he's like as a mate, because obviously. We talk to him in press conferences and stuff. He's, he's quite. He's, oh, nice photo there. Great, yeah, great stuff. Um, so, when did you guys become mates? And when, like, what was he like? Was he like that from the start? Was he very serious about it? Pete, yeah, he was serious back then. Um, <laughs> uh, he's goofy. Yeah. <laughs> Pete was. Um, yeah, he, he, was, he was always the, the serious one. And he always. He, from five or six, he wanted to play for Munster, you know. And he was. Um, he was the hard guy, the tough guy, and but he always had a soft side for for me or you know Connor or a few of the other lads who tried to bully him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we got on well throughout school, and um, we've we've been on the same journey, you know, uh, the same year in school, all the way up, uh, all the way up to Irish level. Um, so uh, he's been a very good friend of mine for a very long time. Played together for or played together for for such a long time, and. Um, yeah, he's a great guy and a great friend, uh, and he's going to, to make a hell of a captain of Ireland uh, probably very soon, so he's, he's going, going very well, and I'm happy for him. Mm. Yeah. Because you're, you're so close and have known each other for so long, did you find at times that he would be comfortable being very harsh towards you if there was like a, a dissection of a, a defeat, for example, mm. on a Monday morning that he could maybe afford to take things a little bit further with you? I heard may not be true, but after a defeat to Leinster in, in 2016, that he had a, a real cut-off, you like, and, and in front of the whole team, and clearly, you, I remember then, a couple of months later, um, you tweeted about him, like, this is my captain, you know, like, kind of paying tribute to him, so it, it's not as if it was going to damage the relationship. But, <laughs> no, no. But no. Do you, did you find that he was, because he knew each other for so long, he could nearly, he could go off on you, and maybe vice versa as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... That uh, that did happen, yeah. That did happen. <laughs> <laughs> what was his issue? What was his gripe? He is an issue over everything, that man. Um, <laughs> but um, I can't remember exactly. I think I might have made a bad decision or something, and uh, he was freaking out. Um, he was unconscious I, at the time, I think, because he was. Yeah, I don't think he even played. Yeah, so he had no right to tell me anything. <laughs> Watching from the sidelines, oh yeah, so far. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but in fairness to him, yeah, he gave a good cup. But I, I don't mind that, you know, with Pete. If it was, um, you know, anybody else now, and I'd be like, are you all right? <laughs> you know, but um, in fairness, I, he knows how I operate and I know how he operates for so long. So he'd, um, he felt it appropriate. And there would be never any ill feelings towards Pete. We know where. We're big enough boys that whatever stays and happens in the meeting room would stay in there, you know, until reporters find out. And <laughs> <laughs> bring it up so in front Pete's of obviously <laughs> blabbing his mouth because it wasn't me. <laughs> but no, he's um, he's a straight shooter. In fairness to him, and uh, uh, we have a great relationship. Yeah. 
What was it like then, like when you're coming into the Munster environment? As you mentioned a few times, you're, you're a pretty laid back guy, and you know you have a different way of doing things. Were, were there kind of friction points there with some guys, or did they instantly accept you as being that kind of laid back guy? No, nobody accepted me really from the start, <laughs> um, especially because there were so many old senior guys. You know, the Rajas and Paulies, Quinnies, Wallies, all these guys were mm. were the fulcrum of the team when I was coming in. So. From my first session, they were literally like, who the hell does this guy think he is, you know? And uh, that was normal. I was okay with that because they weren't used to me and I certainly wasn't going to change my personality for anybody, you know? So eventually they, they, got, um, they got more used to me and just realized I have to be the way I am for me to, to play well and that's just being myself. And um, sure enough, after a couple of games, they realized if he's like something off the pitch, and, but he's performing on the pitch, they were cool with him, they accepted it. And um, yeah, I was still in contact and good friends with a lot of the older players who initially hated me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you turned them around a bit. Mm. How do you, when you look back at the period now, with Munster, obviously scoring so many tries and some great days, does it feel like a really happy time on the pitch or do you feel maybe a small bit unfulfilled with maybe not getting a couple of trophies along the way? Definitely unfulfilled because of the lack of trophies during that stint while I was there. Um, because Munster is such a successful club yeah. with a load of history, always the underdog, but always always performing when it matters. And um, Munster like, is everything to me, was everything to me. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it's hard to put your finger on, you know, what it actually means to play for Munster when you, when you grow up there and you see the success and um, everything that's happened before you, it just, it, it, it's so, so special, you know. So um, I feel, uh, you know, a bit upset or a bit sad when I think about, you know, like just one Champions Cup I would have mm. bit your hand off or, you know, or... Um, even to play in a final in a Munster jersey would have been incredible for me. So uh, definitely um, a little bit unfulfilled, um, but I've had some great days and memories for life, uh, moments for life, and um, yeah, friendships for life. You know, so it's uh, it's been a hell of a journey with Munster. Unfortunately, it's uh, at an end for now. But um, yeah, on to the future. You never know. Mm, you never, you know. never know. Like Donny has experienced it already, and to some effect, but playing against them? Is that something that's crossed your mind as in it might happen over the next couple mm. of years? You know? I'd definitely pull a sickie if I have to play <laughs> There is no chance I'm playing that game. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, how, how tough would it be to, to line out against, when you speak about how much it means to you to have played for Monster, to line out against them and try to beat them, I presume mm. it's, you're gonna, it's conflicting. Yeah, it would be, uh, it would be very difficult, obviously. Um, but I get my head around it fairly sharp and it would be a weird one because to, to win with Munster, there's nothing better in the world. But if I was to play against Munster and lose, there'd be nothing worse in the world. Do you know, it's, it's kind of hard um, to understand why, but if, you know, God willing, we played in a Champions Cup final against Munster and I lost with Racing, that would be, <laughs> I'd be off into Martinique, out to the sunset. I would never come back. I would never come back. I wouldn't be able to, to live with that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Mm. Um, I suppose, like, You've always been on record as saying that you wanted to go and play in, in France at some point, and we knew it was an inevitability. You made the decision to do it at 28, 29, mm. so maybe the prime of your career, it could be argued. Even though you knew you were going to do it at some point, how difficult was it to actually get up and do it and make that decision kind of definitely that you were going to leave? 
Yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, but I had a few years, you know. I think the last contract I signed with Munster, I was very close to, to leaving, you know. And um, I was, the, what kept me at uh, that time was the Champions Cup, you know. And I wanted to, to win. Um, I wanted to play in a final with Munster and win. And that's really what, what kept me back in uh, the extra few years. Because I've always wanted to go to France and I've always wanted to, to play in the top 14 and, and play for a French club. Um, my, my family is French, you know, and um, I've always gone to France ever since I'm such a young guy. I have a lot, a lot of family over in France and it'll be very close to my heart. So to have played uh, in France was always a dream I wanted to tick off. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity to, to, to do one of my dreams or complete one of my dreams. So I, I eventually decided to go, but it was, a, it was a very tough decision for a long time. Yeah, I was mulling over it for so, so long, but in the end, um, the right club, the right time in my career, the, the, um, the age of my kids, there was a lot of factors that you know, were, were built into this decision and um, it's, it's worked out so far, but um, it wasn't just my rugby that came into mind when I was making this decision. There was too much uh, going on outside, but um, yeah, it's worked out so far, but it was a very tough decision. Obviously, Ireland was part of that decision as well, I guess, and international rugby. Like, how did that process work? Were you talking to Joe and the coaches, or were they completely separate to that decision? No, uh, I spoke to, to Joe in Japan, actually. Um, On that tour? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just before, or kind of while I was up for contract and making my decision or whatever, um, because there was a bit of movement at the time. But, um, yeah, I, I spoke to him briefly, and... That was probably the last time we spoke, and I made my, my decision uh, a couple of months later. And uh, yeah, Ireland was obviously in my mind, definitely. But um, I, it's hard to it's hard to say, you know. Mm. Ireland's obviously very important to me, and I love representing my country. But it, to complete one of my dreams, I'd already played for Ireland, you know. And yeah. we've had a I've had a good time, an unbelievable time playing in Irish jersey, but I wanted to complete another goal of mine, and that was to, to, to play in France. And if I, if I don't think if I went this time in my career, I don't think I ever would have went. So it was really just um, trying to fulfill my dreams. And, uh, you know, I had, a, I had great support from my family, and uh, they helped me make the decision and make it all possible. But Ireland was, um, was obviously tough to leave behind, but uh, if, it's went, if it yeah. has to be, it has to be. Obviously, there's outside perceptions of your relationship with Joe. What was that like when when he was your head coach? Uh, yeah, it was it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. You know, we're we're complete opposites. You know, we different characters. Yeah, it's yin and yang. We're just total opposites. So it is what it is. We we worked we worked with each other for a few years and. Um, Got to know him a little better and uh, still opposites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Give us an example of that, like, because it's hard to imagine it. Like, is it, would it be something about the game where you think something different to him or? Yeah, probably, yeah. Like, I, I probably um, value certain things more than he would and he'd probably, you know, make me do things that I wouldn't value as high as other things, you know, and I'd have a different outlook probably on playing the game or whatever, but... Um, you know, the coach is the coach, and you you follow you follow his lead, and you 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 do that as a squad. And I have no problem rowing in behind that, and yeah. and um, playing the way any coach wants to play or any team 
identity is to play a game. So, um, we, like, obviously, I'm not going to stand up in a meeting and say, no, Joe, I'd, you need to play my way. You know I mean? <laughs> so uh, that's just the way it is. I, I, I probably, I, we're just different, you know, yeah. just different personalities, different people. So people might think that we have this big, you know, massive conflict, um, but we don't. I just... Uh, adapt when I was in the squad to the way he wanted to play yeah. that's it that must be hard though because you're probably there in the pitch going they can be getting more out of me or I could be contributing more mm. with my own natural instincts it must have been hard for you to, to ball that up I guess yeah it was it was um, like uh, I'd be more just a little bit more free spirited probably than um, you know sticking to the rules all the time you know <laughs> so um, <laughs> a lot uh, of rules yeah yeah a lot of rules um, but you know that's that's the way it is at international level. There's there's a bit more structure at it, um, and certain teams don't play the way uh, certain individuals might want to, to play. But that's normally you all row in behind each other and you go after it. That's what it takes to play at international rugby. So um, yeah, I wasn't going to say here, Joe changed the game plan to suit Eve. So uh, no, it's um, I've had a hell of a time with Ireland. Joe's a hell of a coach. He's a proven champion. Um, but we're just a little bit different, that's it. Yeah. What, what do you look back on as your, your best days in green? So, In green, um, probably my first cap is probably my uh, standout, um, even though we lost by 40 points <laughs> to New Zealand. Um, but that was, a, that was a big moment for me. Um, uh, it's, it's always special when you get your first jersey and you play with Ireland for the first time, sing the anthem and things. Um, and it was a proud day for my family too. So... Um, it's, it's great that I still have my jersey and uh, give it to my kids or whatever and, um, you know, look back on it uh, when the time's right. You, you, some, you mentioned earlier that you, like, you wouldn't change your personality for any of the more senior figures at Munster when you were starting out and it seems to be maybe similar with Joe in that as much as... I suppose that a lot of players would buy into what he wants because they can see the results. You seem to be less maybe compromising and clearly that probably affected your international career to some extent. I mean, you still did very well, but there pro probably were games where that got in your way a little bit and maybe you would have been left out in favour of uh, a Dave Kearney and Twickenham, for example, was it 2015, 2014, something mm. like that. But I presume you wouldn't change any of that either? Like, mm. there aren't any regrets there, is what I'm asking, really, are there? Uh, no, there's not really regrets. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't change for anybody or anything, you know. I'm, I am who I am and I'm 100% happy every single day with me being me, you know, so um, just because someone wants you to do something or tells you X, Y, and Z, this is how it's not, I'm, I'm happy being myself, um, and I'm, uh, I'm confident in my own ability more than anything, self-belief is number one with me, um, mightn't be, you know, as strong or as fast or as, you know, whatever, as good a stepper as some other people, but my self-belief is definitely higher or at a level where um, that doesn't affect me, you know. So, um, yeah, that was, that's the DNA in my uh, personality and it'll, that'll never change. And I'm going to make sure my uh, kids are the exact same, be 100% confident in who they are and, and um, believe in themselves to the end, even if other people don't. Mm. And I guess that happened recently with the thing in Ulster, obviously, the... Mm the racist comments made towards you, you, you felt that you had to be yourself and, and make a bit of a stand. Well, not being obviously over the top with making a stand, but yeah. kind of stand up for your beliefs. Yeah, that's it. That's it, 100%. Now, it was, a, it was, a, it was a pretty shitty time, you know. Um, it was a, 
you know, it was an awful all week. It was uh, front and center of, you know, every media or whatever, and it was, it was probably, it was a bit annoying to, to read up on so much, but, you know, you had to, I, had to, I had to bring light to it or to say something on it. Oh, I didn't go into, obviously, in-depth details, you know, as some people on Twitter were asking me to do, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I made my complaint to the EPCR, Ulster Rugby were on to me, the CEO straight away, and they were very, very helpful. And, um, you know, I made a lot of help, and a lot of people wrote to me on social media, you know, apologizing and uh, coming forward with what they heard to, to Ulster Rugby, which was great. But it's uh, something that, uh, yeah, you have to instill in your kids, you know, to stand up for what you believe in and uh, um, not take shit from anybody, basically. Mm. So, um yeah, that's why I did it. It would have been very easy for me to just let it slide and yeah. you know pretend I didn't hear. But um, yeah, that's yeah. You you, that was the first time it's ever happened. Ever, ever yeah. from schools under five or under sixes um, to playing in umpteen amount of stadiums, like so many stadiums, away grounds, hostile, way more hostile than playing in Ulster. But um, that never ever came out or anything that resembled it came out of anybody's mouth towards me. So that's why it was very disappointing that I was coming back home to play and it happened um, on Irish turf. So um, it is what it is. You move on and try and focus on positive things, but it's, uh, it's probably one of, it's definitely a low light in my career anyway. So, hmm. Yeah, fair play to Ulster Roby as well. As you say, they acted swiftly. Yeah, it only takes one idiot and, and the rest of the Ulster fans were brilliant. As you say, like they helped with the investigation, so... That's it, yeah. If they didn't come forward and, yeah. and go to Ulster, then we wouldn't uh, have got to the solution of it. So yeah, absolutely. Very thankful for, for them. Yeah, just to back to Ireland briefly, you said it like fitting into Munster and convincing the older lads of your, I guess, personality <laughs> character. What yeah. was it like with Johnny Sexton and Rory Best then? Two oh. guys who are pretty <laughs> straightforward and serious. Me and Johnny had a rough old start, I <laughs> <laughs> We had a rough imagine. old start. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> he had a rough old start, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, Johnny was... Um, he, you must be down to his confidence with those photos, actually. I do not. No, not at all. <laughs> Johnny's bulletproof, in fairness to him. Um, we have a great time. You know, in fairness to Johnny, he's, um, he's, he's, he's a fellow who's on top of keeping in touch, in fairness to him. He's been to France, and he knows... How, how different the environment is, and he makes, a, he makes a hell of an effort, in fairness, to keep in contact with me. He's a great guy, uh, great friend as well, so um, that's why I'm able to stick it to him like that as much <laughs> as possible. Um, but uh, first, first few impressions of him in Irish camp, this fella is a... I'd love to <laughs> give him a slap, yeah, yeah. Because the, the only time I'd ever seen of him, really, before that, before playing with him in Irish camp was uh, when he was standing over Raj in that famous photo. So I was <laughs> like, I hate this fella now. So. <laughs> <laughs> and um, obviously being young and inexperienced, I went up to Irish camp and, um, you know, I was all focused on getting the ball and trying to impress or whatever. And I think Raj was playing on the uh, opposition team and he kicked a few balls in over my head and... Johnny let me have it, you know, he, he was fuming, frotting at it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, he, uh, yeah, he let me have it and then um, we had a little rough start and, um, but then off the pitch, he's totally different. He's, he's such a nice guy. He's a, he's a gent, he'll look after you 100%. Uh, he's a fellow who's got your back, you know, so um, yeah, we, we soon, soon became friends after uh, our patchy start, but um, yeah, he's a great guy. Good stuff. We need to get to a few of your questions. We'll give away a, a signed Ireland jersey while we're here. Um, there's nice. one here from Declan O'Brien. 
and he asks, or he says, rather, well, this question is for Simon Zebo. Sorry, Murray. That's uh, all right. <laughs> he asks, uh, do you think the experience you've gained while playing in France has made you a better player, and do you feel that you could now offer more to Joe Schmidt in Ireland if you were selected? Question. Yeah, it's, question. Um, it's, it's uh, definitely opened my eyes a few uh, playing over in France into you know, the different ways to play and approach and the mentality probably more than anything. Um, the French mentality is definitely a lot different to Ireland. Um, it's just, um, yeah, I think it's, it's probably helped my game in, in terms of calculating the risk and, and reward, you know, in, in certain things you try on a rugby pitch. Um, it's probably helped me appreciate how valuable some levels of structure can be on a game. And, um, yeah, I think those two things will probably be the most things that I take out of my adventure so far. And it's definitely helped me in... Uh, in my performance on the pitch, I, I definitely feel like I've improved in this first six months or seven months or whatever it's been. So, um, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind the chance to play with Ireland, but if it's uh, France that's keeping me off the team, then that has to probably stay. There's um, <clears throat> a question here from Connor O'Byrne. Uh, Connor says, Donica Ryan recently said he has finally mastered how to eat a croissant without it crumbling in his hand. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a straight-up lie. <laughs> I actually can't take that man anywhere. You, can't, you go to a cafe with him and your missus or some family member and you're... It's just embarrassing. Like, you know I mean? <laughs> crossed everywhere. How's it going, skin? You know? <laughs> shocking, shocking. Well, Connor asks, uh, what is your favourite food since moving to Paris? Oof, favourite food. Good grub over there. There it is, yeah. We get really well looked after in the training centre. They do some ribs over there. Um, hard to turn away, you know, sometimes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the ribs, the bread, whatever it is, it's all good over in France. It's dangerous, but it's good. <laughs> this is a, an absolute corker of a question. Standard of questions, extremely high, but Danny Sherrard. Uh, Danny Hey, Mr. Zeebs, um, <laughs> if you had a good offer to come back to Ireland and play international rugby, would you take it if Leinster were the province that were making that offer? <laughs> uh, Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> no chance. There's, there's no money in the world. I'd never... Never, never, never. That's just the way I grew up. I, there's proper hatred there. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry to all the Dublin lads. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just, it's just how we're moulded down there, you know? It's different, you know? You, you hate Leinster and that's it, you know? Just Leinster, England. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's good to hear that that still exists. Yeah. Sometimes oh, in the modern sense. game, you wonder, like, oh, everyone's focused on their analysis, blah, 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 but they still hate each other. Oh, yeah. Big time, <laughs> big time. Um, maybe not so much from the dubs coming down to us because they've been so successful <laughs> recently. <laughs> so we're looking at them like, you fuckers, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, oh, the hatred has been sent right up there, I tell you. There's, um, but that's the thing. It's when you're playing against them and it's when you're competing against them and you see you're playing with Monster and you see the results... And you're like, oh, did Leinster lose? Oh, shit, they won. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just the way it is. Um, but when you're in Irish camp together, you know, uh, I love hanging around with Johnny, you know, I love Mads, you know, all these guys, you know, you, you get on really well with them. But in the back of your mind, you're just like, 
I want to get one up on you, you know. <laughs> Next time we play Leinster, I want to do you, you know. So um, that's just the rivalry. I hope that never dies, you yeah. know. And you've probably seen it the last, uh, the last Interpro there. It was pretty fiery, which was great to see. Yeah. Hadn't been like that in a long time. And uh, thankfully, Leinster got a hammering. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the standard question is too high to actually pick a winner based on questions. So we'll do the fair thing, I think. We have a, we have a hat with names. Yeah. For um, the, it's if for you wouldn't mind doing the honours, yes, Simon. <clears throat> So, right, I think so this is for the Southern Ireland jersey, thanks to Glenisk. Um, what were you going to say? Yeah, everyone, everyone here has been entered into it, is that right? Everyone is in the hat, yeah. yeah. But we'll, we'll base the, the tickets at the end of the show. That will be a best question type scenario. We have to do it at some point. Um, I feel as if Danny Sherrard has been hard done <laughs> by here, but nonetheless, he might give it a, a rustle and pick one. I hope it's not a Leinster fan. Kieran <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fallon. Kieran Fallon. Oh, the Fallons are in the house. Fair play to you, Kieran. Uh, we'll sort you out at halftime, which is pretty much now. So if you want to go and get a drink and all that, please do. And we'll catch you in maybe 15 or 20 minutes. Thanks a mil. Oh. I was chatting, chatting to a gentleman at halftime there. He goes, uh, Gav, you effed my question anyway. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, uh, I was going to ask about, uh, you know, the Troy Zebra scored in school and the fact that he uploaded himself to YouTube <laughs> took it off the cards. We'll, ask, we'll, we'll get you to ask more questions at the end though, so please uh, put the hands up if you've anything to ask Simon or indeed Murray. Um, but we... Uh, I'm sorry. I'll, take, I'll take a few questions. I'll take a bit of heat off Simon here. <laughs> um, but let's talk about Six Nations while we're here. Um, the teams were named, obviously, uh, two changes to the Ireland team that beat the All Blacks. The big call, I suppose, is... Robbie Henshaw at 15, which we had anticipated based only on reports, but really it's a bit of a bolt from the blue or a, uh, from left field uh, in terms of a decision. What are your thoughts on it as somebody who obviously operated at 15 for large portions of your career and still do? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's a good fit. I think, I think Robbie will go really well. Um, he's such a talented footballer and he's got great skills in, in all facets of the game, really. His, his kicking game's really strong, his aerial game's really strong, passing, you know, he has all the attributes to, to fit in perfectly. Um, and having him on the pitch with, you know, Ringrose and Aki and these guys, to drop one of them off, off the squad would have been um, probably uh, a difficult thing to do. So you're probably better off playing him a full-back, maybe out of position, but I think uh, his skill set is good enough that he can uh, perform really well there. That being said, when it was sort of first suggested that he would be playing 15, were you surprised to hear that? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, I, was, I, I thought he was going to play in the centre, just because it's been a while since he's played there, you know. It's, <laughs> he was only breaking onto the scene when he was playing at fullback. So um, I was a bit surprised. I know how good Andrew Conway is at fullback, and Jordan Larmer's been carving up at fullback as well for, for Leinster. So, you know, there's, um, there's other options to go with, but I think Robbie's such an influential person on the on the Irish uh, team that it's, it's pretty important to ha have him out there, even out of position. Did he, did he ever run in training when you were in Ireland camp at fullback? Not when I was there, no. Because no. no. Joe was talking about a bit today that he's actually been kind of quietly doing in the background, probably just for the last year then, I guess. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Get, um, getting his reps in. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um, just, with, just with Rob Carney, it's interesting as well because he's obviously been the incumbent there. It'd be interesting to see moving forward if it is like a long-term plan for, for Robbie Henshaw to move back there. Um, Rob Carney's obviously been so, so reliable. Like, what are the things that he brings maybe that 
Robbie Henshaw might not have in that position. Well, I don't think Rob has anything that Robbie doesn't have. I just think um, Rob, Robbie is, <laughs> is uh, playing there for <laughs> the first time in a long time, so he'll obviously uh, get good tips off of Rob on what to do, you know. So I think uh, an important thing for him will be the aerial game this weekend. I, I fancy England to, to test him out a little bit. Um, and his backfield coverage, so touchline to touchline, working with his wingers and, and making sure that Owen Farrell doesn't find space from a bouncing ball, you know, that's a, that's a big no-no in um, playing in fullback. You know, you don't want that out half to f kick a ball and, and uh, make it touch the grass. So, um, yeah, his backfield coverage is going to be very big this week and uh, his aerial skills, he'll mm. have to... Uh, do a bit of work on, I'd imagine, just to freshen himself up. But he's he's got uh, he's got it all. In fairness to him, um, he's got a great engine, great skill set, and uh, big game temperament as well. So yeah. he'll go well. Well, we want to have a quick look at a few clips of him actually playing fullback. There's not much footage, obviously. The last time was back in October for Leinster. Rob Carney got injured away to Benetton, and he kind of moved to fullback. So that's his most recent uh, experience of it. Obviously, he play, played a lot there when when he was younger, um, and even made his Ireland debut. At fullback, so it's not com completely un unfamiliar to him. But we want to have a look at the clips and I guess get your insight into what the requirements are of a fullback. Like you mentioned, kicking there, he's obviously in the backfield here. We'll pick him up off a, off a 22 restart, and he makes a good decision on the ball, gets his head up, scans the pitch. That kind of ga style mm. kick, isn't yeah, it? Kick. Side on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he finds that space, finds a bit of grass just in behind the winger. Like it's, it's perfectly balanced there. But that kicking game, I guess, is huge for, for a fullback. Yeah, that, that's actually, it's a really, really good kick, but it's probably the wrong option, you know. He's, uh, the big thing for uh, counter-attack is if you can get to halfway line, that's when you're usually in the money and the team can, can start to, to get into their attacking shape. You know, the winger, uh, it was eyes it was <laughs> and needle stuff there to get that kick in and fair play to him, no better boy, but um, it's, those, it's those decisions now he'll have to, to freshen up his mind on when to counter-attack, when to kick, are the wingers back covering the space? Are they not? Is the fullback slow getting out of the middle of the pitch? You know, there's a lot of things he's going to have to that are different in his mindset going into a game from centre to fullback. So mm. um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, we'll come back to the, the kind of kick return. This is a bit of broken field. A, a poor pass goes down behind him. But his skill set, you see defend, you see the offload. It, it feels like with a bit more space, it'll actually suit him that little bit more uh, out in that kind of wider channel. And he talks about open space. Um, Chamison gives a park fall over there in behind. But uh, it feels like that additional bit of space will suit his kind of skill set. Definitely. He's very dangerous with ball in hand. And um, when he is time to, to weigh up a decision and decide who's going to run at, he's, he's very hard to stop. Um, he's got the strength, the speed, um, acceleration to, to be very, very dangerous with uh, more space. So I think it's going to suit him, I think, uh, that extra bit of time. And he'll definitely give a... Uh, good impetus for, uh, into the attacking game from a uh, fullback. Yeah, like he's always backed his kind of ability on the ball. You see him at first receiver here. Um, and I guess Joe would want him from 15 to be that, maybe that second playmaker. Was that something that he pushed you to do, that Joe pushed you to do, be that first receiver at times? Uh, not really, no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> really, he, he didn't want you involved in that? No, uh, it's not that he didn't want me involved, but he, like, if you chat with other coaches, they might tell you specifically yeah. get into first receiver, you know, Joe never discouraged me getting in there, you know, he, he appreciates that I have good, good enough skill set to, uh, to, to stand in a first receiver and try and make things happen, but it was never, you know, you go in there and do this, but really, yeah. uh, Robbie will, uh, it'll definitely uh, 
suit him getting in there because, as I was saying, his passing game. And if he doesn't want to pass or kick, he's, he's very uh, good at scoring tries. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the dummy. The last one I want to ask about is this is him in the, the, the 15 channel in the same game for Leinster and he gets that little offload away. Like, what was Joe's mentality towards that? Because there was always this perception, or still is, that Joe was like, don't throw that 50-50. No, I don't think he's, he's, he's like, uh, don't throw that 50-50. I think um, if it works, great. If it doesn't, then don't throw it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Simple. Yeah, it's just as easy as that. So you uh, have a few milliseconds in your mind to think, <laughs> well, am I going to do this offload or am I going to see it on Monday in the review, you know? So uh, uh, 90% of the time I, I <laughs> went for the offload. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't think, no, Joe's, uh, in fairness to him, he's not, uh, he doesn't discourage players in trying offload and, and things like that. But, um, you know, yeah. were there make few, it work out. <laughs> yeah, were there a few bad Monday reviews for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 plenty, plenty. Even when I did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we wanted to just talk about his. This is actually from 2016, April 2016, the last time he started a game at fullback. You were actually a fullback for Munster. Um, so we just want to look here at him kind of strike running. This is actually kind of a Joe Schmidt esque play. They hit up in midfield. Um, they're going to get John Muldoon just off the side of the ruck as they bounce back. You see Muldoon, he's going to be that kind of hub for a. Uh, almost dummy loop. You're going to see Marmion coming around on that line, trying to draw off the defenders. This is one Ireland used quite a bit around the ruck, isn't it? Mm. Um, and Henshaw late, arriving from way back in the backfield onto that late line there. Like, he's the kind of player who runs those lines perfectly. And I guess for Joe, that's massive to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, right place, right time. And, and Robbie has great timing. Um, the centres in uh, Ireland have you know, there's a big emphasis on the, the first phase, you know, and getting over the gain line and, and timing and execution is, you know, is very, very important in order for that to work. So you'd often see him coming on these big short lines and ins to out lines, you know, he's just got very good timing and he's got good feet to be able to adapt late, which is the key uh, usually uh, to breaking the line. So, um, yeah, he's going to... He's, he's well gonna set for that. Yeah. You mentioned the, the kind of kick return and, and coming back, which is one of the tricky jobs. Like, you know, you're obviously going to have a good wall of defence coming at you. He's in the backfield here. Um, what are the things Joe puts an emphasis on in this situation? That's Henshaw on the ball there. Obviously, there's a lot of traffic in front of him. What's he relying on? What's he looking for in, in, a, in a situation like this? Well, as soon as he catches the ball now, well, he'd want to have been looking before he actually catches the ball to, to see where the Munster players are coming from. But... I think the the initial thing uh, is a lot of teams have three uh, chasers. Munster would have usually three or four chasers in that 15. So from the touchline to the 15, three is usually the go-to. So I think he'd be analysing and weighing up the decision how many players are in the 15 first and foremost. Um, and if he's got two or one and a half, then he's good to go down back down the short side. And if there's more than three in the 15, then you know they're going to be short out wide. So I think... Uh, uh, he would have went for the pass option then, but yeah. it's uh, it's tough. It's a tough skill actually. Um, the counter uh, contestable kick like that—that's usually five or ten meters too far because um, you're looking at the ball and you have to see straight away when uh, how many people are in front of you and where they are exactly. So um, yeah, it's a tough skill. It is tough. He gets turned over in that in that instance, so he'll be aware of that for for the weekend. You mentioned the backfield stuff, and we want to look at it here. Um, because in this instance, actually, Connacht are running the scrum half in the backfield. Ireland don't tend to do that. Like, he's going to be left behind 
a lot on his own just in behind the defensive line. We'll see him just come on to, to screen in the backfield as he kind of anticipates, just roll back side there, he anticipates that wide attack. So he's kind of closing off that space. But they go on to the inside. And you're going to be familiar with the player who gets on the ball who here. Who is that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> we actually we left in the celebration as well. Brilliant. To... <laughs> Don't show Robbie that. <laughs> For yeah. all Robbie's confidence, we'll be shot now before the weekend. <laughs> just his head as well, I think. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> they were giving me stick that game. I had to give it to them. <laughs> but it is a, it's a, such a tough job for Ireland, isn't it? In behind, there's so mm. much space to cover. It is. There's, there's a lot of space to cover, and you try to cover that space with the least amount of men possible because you want all your, uh, your, your big leaders in defence in the front line. So um, uh, that's the main thing, is to, to shut down the front line first, and, and uh, it's important for Robbie and the, the two wingers to be able to cover the backfield at the same time. So um, it'll be difficult because the 9 and 10 for England are two very good attacking kickers, so... Uh, they're definitely going to have their work cut out. If they're too deep, they're going to go with grubber kicks and chip kicks. And if they're too flat, then they're going to be exposed for pinging the corners. So um, it's going to be a big test for him. And this new backfield will uh, have their work cut out, but they're well capable. Yeah, and like he is good in the air. We're going to see him off a restart here. So not exactly a, a kind of a box kick or an attacking kick. He's in the backfield there, coming forward onto the ball. Tommy O'Donnell sent to compete one-on-one with him. Um, and Henshaw's quite strong, brave in the air, wins that 50-50 when he possibly could have easily lost that. The next one is interesting because Munster changed it up. Again, you're going to be familiar with the chaser here. That's Simon Zebo up against Henshaw this time. Oh, the outcome. <laughs> Never in doubt. Yeah. But, but it is going to be such a, a, a big ask for him being under the ball in areas that he's not quite accustomed to. Yeah, he's not, but he's, <laughs> he's such a good GA background, you know, and... Um, his aerial skills are actually one of the strongest parts of his game that people don't see very often, um, having played in the centre for so long. But um, it's something he'll have to freshen up. But he's, he's, he, I couldn't talk higher of his skills. Um, he's got a great skill set in fairness to him. And, uh, um, yeah, he's going to be peppered at the weekend, no doubt, I'd imagine, for the first 20 minutes anyway. Um, but, yeah, hopefully he stands up to it and, and catches them all. Just in terms of uh, your own transition to fullback, like when we saw you burst onto the scene for Munster, it was largely on the wing. But when you moved to 15, where you've enjoyed a lot of your success there, what are the first things that you have to concentrate on in terms of adapting to the position? Like you mentioned decision making earlier on. But I suppose, what, how do you actually approach the change? Like, what changes for you um, in terms of how you approach a game? Um, well, in terms of attack, you have a lot more freedom, you know, and. Uh, you're able to roam around and, and, and pick your own lines and, and when to attack and, and, you know, different situations to pick, try and pick out a few fatties whenever you want, roaming around. <laughs> uh, it's just a lot easier than staying on your wing, having to burn a winger or a fullback, you know, you can pick out the big boys. Um, and then in defence, uh, it is definitely a bit different in defence because suddenly when you're on the wing, you know, you're, you're almost... Um, working for the fullback, do you know what I mean? It's like he's the boss of the backfield and you take your orders from him and he tells you when to close up and make a tackle or he tells you when to stay back and cover the backfield for the catch, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely much that. And when you're, you're put into the fullback position, you're suddenly the boss in terms of the backfield coverage. So um, it's, a, it's a bit more responsibility than playing on the wing or in the centre, but... Um, it's, uh, it's good, yeah, you just embrace it and go with it. But presumably then, if the fullback is kind of in charge of the back three in that regard, then the fullback is required to have 
I mean, you're going to need to have the knowledge in order to back those orders. I mm. mean, if you because if you're telling a, a winger to push up and the kick goes in behind them and you look like yeah. an idiot, yeah. like, you lose a bit of trust there as well. Yeah, so, and some people might say, oh, that's a bad decision from the winger, but it's actually the fullback who's letting down by giving them bad communication or bad uh, advice on what to do in a split second, and people don't see that, you know, or the other way around, you know, if somebody tells you, I have your corner and you go up and... Where are you? You know, <laughs> you just left me hanging. Now I look like a dope. You know, yeah. so um, it's just uh, it's those little things that people don't see all the time. Is uh, it's what makes a good team and separates them from a great team. So, yeah. and from your own experience of playing um, alongside Robbie against Robbie at provincial level, he, I think maybe every player at that level is, is vocal to an extent. But is he the type of guy who can kind of command? his two wingers in front of him uh, this weekend. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Yeah, um, he, he's well able to speak. You know, he, he, he doesn't speak too often from when I was dealing with him. He might have matured a little bit or, you know, found the confidence in his voice a bit more, but he's, he's well able to speak and he, he's got, he's, he plays at a high enough level that people respect him and listen to him straight away, you know, whenever he does speak. So, um, no, he'll, he'll be great. He'll be well able to boss the two wingers and Earlsey and... Um, um, Jacob will um, definitely be able to, to, to bounce off him and feed him. And I'm sure they've had enough weeks preparation now knowing what they're going into. Um, yeah, I, I think Robbie will lead as well. Mm. The other interesting call, I guess, was at seven with Sean O'Brien back fit. Um, Josh Van Der Feer gets a nod. Probably on, on form, I think he's been excellent for Ireland in, in November. And with Leinster, he's been incredible. His work rate's been off the charts. Really dominant in tackles. But it is no su surprise, I guess, to see Sean O'Brien back in the matchday squad and pushing hard for the first team, even though he hasn't played a lot, a lot of minutes. He's the kind of guy who seems to get up to speed really quickly at that level. Yeah, he does. Um, it's just he's got a wealth of experience playing at that level in the big games, um, and he knows exactly what he needs to do to perform well. He's, he's a great player, um, and it's great to, to have him back. But uh, in fairness to van der Fleer, he's, he's been on fire this, this mm. season. You know, He's um, been a real menace to any attack, um, and he, you know, England are going to have their work cut out, getting him off the ball, and his work rate is second to none. He's a frightening work rate. Um, so I think that, that level of fitness that he consistently has is probably a bit more than Sean. He's just having played more. Um, but Sean, he will be hell of an impact off the bench. Like That is not a welcome sight for England yeah. when they see that, come, that number come up at 60 minutes. Yeah. Uh, Owen Farrell will be fucking bricking it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And he's not, he's not short of word either, Sean. If you're talking about communication, he's... Yeah, yeah, he, you try and tell him be quiet a bit more. He talks too much. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie needs to just lift it a bit. But no, uh, he is great. He's very knowledgeable. He's a world-class player for a number of years now. So, um, yeah, good experience, good knowledge, and, uh, yeah, very good impact player to, to be able mm. to bring on come 60. Yeah, it looks like a really settled Ireland team, aside from obviously Henshaw going into 15, mm. and you have Devon Toner leading the line out. The front row was unbelievable in November, like massacring the Argentinian and the All Black scrum. So they're in a really good place. I wonder what you think about England, having seen a bit of them in November, and uh, obviously Eddie Jones is a divisive sort of character, mm. but the actual rugby side of things with England, what do you think the, the major threats they're bringing this weekend are? Um, their back three is quite dangerous. Um, and with Manu to Alangi back, he's a big, big threat. Um, he's going to be running at Johnny all day, I reckon. Um, he's just a very, very hard man to stop. Like you, one on one or two on one, even you can't stop him getting momentum or gain line. He's he's a freaking nature. In fairness to him, so he's going to give an added. Um, 
burst onto or momentum onto their uh, their first phase attack. Um, and yeah, their 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 wingers and, and fullback are very dangerous. So um, yeah, I think Ireland will have their work cut out in terms of stopping them the first forty. But I think uh, um, they'll they'll be well able to uh, to get on top of them and push on come sixty minutes. I fancy Ireland to to go punch for punch, but then push yeah. on. Yeah, we're gonna have a look at some of the England clips from from November. Um, obviously, some good results, and as you say, the back three. Mm. It was good, I think, for them to back Elliot Daly for this game as well. There was a lot of talk about Mike Brown coming yeah. in for the, for the aerial battle, but great to see that. They've been trying to push forward their, their attacking game in, in phase play. We're going to see a couple of examples here. Uh, pretty simple kind of shape. They have that usual kind of three-man pod off the rock there. Um, just your three forwards in that three-man pod. Mm. The ability, obviously, to carry, to tip on, or to go out the, the back door, kind of that second wave attack. Um, and they're getting more comfortable on the ball. You see it this time, it's Harry Williams. And then off the, the playmaker just behind, it's a two-man pod generally. And again, the option to hit either of those guys, make a really direct carry, which we know they're good at, or go out the back door as they do here. And trying to get those guys who have so much pace in space. Daly gets on the ball there. I think May, well, yeah, you can see him there. <laughs> He's pretty frustrated not to get the ball. Mm -hmm. But when they, when they get a bit of space, it's going to be really hard work for Aaron. So I guess the, the key is shutting down that, that phase play in the midfield. Yeah, that's going to be huge. I... Um because if that doesn't work, you know, and they start going out the back door two or three times and they try and find that width and Ireland managed to stop it a couple of times, that's a huge, huge momentum giver to Ireland then. And, you know, the crowd are going to get into it more. But if they do start uh, getting down the edges and getting that momentum, that, that extra 20, 30 yards on the edge, then it's going to be very difficult to stop. Um, because then you're, you're just trying to stop the front line so much and you're leaving loads of space at the back. It, it's um it is it is a tough system to defend, but if if you get two or three up on them, you you can see them, you know they go into their shells a little bit more because it's such a, a risky game plan. So they start hitting the front door smash, front door again smash, and then they're like, okay, what do we do now? So it is a it's a game plan you can go after, but mm. it, it is risk and reward. You you'd want to be on your money to uh to shut it down. Yeah, there's something similar. Obviously, again that that three man pod just off the rock. Itoje is on the ball this time. They have a, no, a number of guys who are getting more comfortable making those passes. Sinclair's obviously been a big addition. They go out the back door again to Farrell this time, and he has that two-man pod again just outside. And this time they do use that front door option. Sinclair, like the defensive organisation there, is mm. <laughs> pretty poor from Australia. I don't think they're going to get it that easy against Ireland, but there's always that thread of the, the di direct, directness rather of, of England. That's a pretty good carry from Sinclair, who's a, <laughs> a bit of a, bit of a lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. a strong boy and a pretty wild character. Um, he's probably hard to control in the pitch, I think. Mm. The interesting one is that Billy Vunapola, this is from 2016 when he had his last full campaign and they won the Grand Slam. He was absolutely instrumental in everything they do. And he's going to be the guy who can offer that carrying threat or who can play because he can really... Yeah. You've profiled him probably in scouting a lot. Mm. He can really play, can't he? He's unbelievable. He's got a head of a skill set. He's like a back in, yeah. with incredible size and athleticism. Um, I think him and, and Manu are the, the key to, to Ireland really winning this game. If they are able to stifle those two boys and, and stop them in their tracks, they're going a long way to winning the game. But they're very, very difficult to stop and keep quiet for 80 minutes because you know they're going to have one or two moments that are, that are going to give them a hell of a lot of momentum. It's just you need to minimise that as much as possible. And uh, yeah, this fella's a hell of a ball player and he can create things for England just as much as Owen Farrell can, so yeah. he'll be a big threat. And he's, he's just, there's so many options off him, obviously. Again, you're in that three-man pod there, we can recognise now. Obviously, again, he's, he's such a good carrier. You really have to respect him. 
His tip-on pass is really good, late to the line, get that defender draw, drawn in. And again, Saracens play that backdoor kind of rugby league style, so he's really comfortable with this. In this example, actually, Ireland defend it really well. Josh van der Feer doesn't quite sit down on him while he's there, respecting him and, and, and possibly in position for, for a good hit. Jamie Heesed makes a really good read, you're going to see as it rolls on, um, because that tip-on pass there is obviously a threat to, to Cruz, I think it is. And Heesed makes a good read, he stays alive at the back. So it's going to be really important for those interior defenders to make good decisions Again, they go out the back. But Ireland here manage it pretty well until Anthony Watson actually has a bit of footwork on Trimble. We won't show him that clip. <laughs> but uh, I think Ireland initially managed that pretty well. And, and I guess you've obviously played under Andy Farrell and, and seen what he's brought into Ireland. Like, how good a shape is that Ireland defence in, do you think, now? Um, how good is Ireland's defence? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very good. <laughs> Andy gives you a lot of confidence and he brings a certain level of aggressiveness, you know, to, to the defence. And he... You're not like some defensive coaches would tell you to, to what to do in order to contain the attack, but Andy is very much you know go after them and attack um, with your defence and with your with your size and your your speed and your power. You know, you really it's an offensive mindset in the you know, so it's um, it's great. It's a different mindset and it's uh, it's working with the lads. They're loving it. They fully embraced it. They're excited and hungry to get off the line and make big hits and. You know, that's, that's how the crowd feed off of it and gives them another lease of life, you know, and uh, um, that's going to be massive. Their defence is going to be massive this weekend. It's going to be a huge test, uh, especially if it stays dry. So. Yeah, obviously coming off a good performance against the All Blacks. Mm. The other one, quickly to point out on, on B B Billy Vinopola, just at set-piece, he often plays that kind of receiver role in behind the six-man line-out. And again, it gives them a lot more options. They couldn't really do this in November because he wasn't there. He can actually sometimes arrive in late, just after the throw as a lifter, Obviously, in this situation, he can go in there and actually drive that maul, get on the ball. You don't want him at the back of a maul rumbling forward. Um, and because his skills are so good in his decision-making, he can also split off and either carry or pass off the back of that dummy maul. They, they use this a lot. You're going to see it again on Saturday a lot. He makes a pass there, and they try and get away over the gain line. So it just shows, I guess, the variety he'll bring. And the, the, like the set piece is going to be a massive line-out. He's going to be huge. I know... When you're standing out in the wing, you just want Devon Toner to deliver the ball for you. But he's probably a guy who's massively important to Ireland this weekend. Dev will be massive, yeah. The line-out's going to be big. Um, it just gives you that platform. And you know when you're in a match and you're playing off sloppy ball, the difference it makes to your first-phase attack and the difference it makes to your mindset and thinking, can we actually call this move? You know, Are we going to win this ball at the tail? Will it be clean? Are they going to get five yards on us to to put us back behind the gain line. So there's a lot of factors, but when your line-out's operating well and your scrum's going well, um, that is, it's a massive advantage for you as a back line um, and as a team. So uh, Dev will be vital um, to uh, Ireland, Ireland's attack. Yeah. yeah, respect to the forwards. Like, they deliver the ball. Yeah, I haven't a clue what's going on 90% <laughs> yeah. of the time, yeah. but uh, they do a lot of work. <laughs> you, you mentioned... <laughs> <laughs> They'll be happy with that. You mentioned Tulagi. We just want to have a quick look at him being really direct off set piece. Uh, this is in November when he just came off the bench. And also how, I guess, there's Owen Farrell. He's not going to be first receiver. It's Ben Teo there, but you're going to look at Henry Slade probably being that first receiver at times and having that option to screen out the back. They do it really well, like rugby league style. But when you've got two laggy on the front door option, obviously he can go out the back door there to, to Farrell. When you've got two laggy, you're going to see his power now initially, straight up. And then he's got a bit of footwork as well. Like that is going to be a handful for, for the midfield, mm. for Gary Ringrose and Aki, who are particularly good defenders, though. Yeah, they are very good defenders, and they're very smart, too. They, you know, they, they read situations and games really well, and they, they don't just focus on the defence. They focus on, if I was on the attack, 
what would I be trying to do if I was them? You know, they, they see both sides of the ball really well. But it's, it's, it's a tricky one with Manu because with some teams, if you know they're going to run certain moves and you know what option they pick 90% of the time, you can usually half defend one and double job and get on to the second one, you know. But with a guy like Manu running short, you're either all in or you're dust, you know. <laughs> he will run through you, you know, so easily. So um, they're going to have to fully commit to him if they, if they, if they really want to stop him in his tracks. Otherwise, you're hanging on and it's a momentum battle then that you've lost. So um, that's, the, that's, that's the part of the threat they have this weekend, and uh, he'll be the fulcrum of England's attack, I've no doubt about it. Yeah, the last little thing we want to look at with England is the fact that they actually kick a lot. Like, they've kind of had those boring jives at Ireland this week, but on, a, on average they kick more than Ireland 29 times, I think, in November, average per game, which is higher than Ireland. They were at about 22. And they tend to box kick a lot through Ben Youngs, who's really good at this. Mm. Obviously, Conor Murray gets like, deserved plaudits for this area of the game, but Youngs is, is strong in this. And even if they don't get up and make that initial contest, they're really good in that follow-up hit. Poor old Damian McKenzie gets driven into touch there. Like, I mean, that's a massive part of Joe Schmidt's modus operandi, isn't it? To win that aerial contest. That, for him, is probably a core element of the game. Yeah, it is. It's, it's massive for him. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the foundation of any attack, you know, protecting the skies and uh, claiming that ball um, and regaining possession. So Ben Youngs is a quality kicker and they've got quality chasers. Um, it's actually a big thing at Saracens, you know, chatting to a few of the lads that, you know, their GPS coach will be looking at the GPS at every kick, making sure if you're not sprinting 100%, you'll be pulled up on it, you know. Mm. So they have a big, big emphasis on their kick chase, um, which I'm sure correlates with their English t team now. So, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a tough battle because if even if you have time to go up and catch it, you're going to get smashed on the way down. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a good battle and. Hopefully both the teams don't kick too much and yeah. we get to see some running rugby, but um, it will, it'll be a knife-edge stuff and it could hinge on one bad kick, one good kick or one big turnover after a kick. So, yeah. Yeah. Do Rasking check your GPS on kick chase? <laughs> Not me, no. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> I don't think the GPS works inside. <laughs> anyway. Fair, enough. Fair enough. But look, England are coming with a, a couple of threats. I just wouldn't say they're as cohesive a team as Ireland. Like they have clear physical threats as well as a bit of ball playing that mm. Ireland certainly won't underestimate. But they're not in as good a, obviously as good a place as Grand Slam champions are. You touched upon him there, uh, Simon. But Andy Farrell, what was your initial reaction when it was announced that he was going to succeed or succeed um, after Joe Schmidt's reign? Um, sent him some chocolates. Sent him some flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Any chance, Andy? <laughs> Are you looking? <laughs> no, um, I thought it was great. Yeah, he he would be um, he would be fantastic for Ireland. Uh, he has all the boys' respect already. Um, you know, he's proven how how good he is as a coach and how successful he is. His outlook on the game is is very uh, optimistic for Ireland, and uh, I've no doubt he'll uh, be a huge huge success. Um, and uh, hopefully he gives me a call, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the differences, or supposed differences, between the two of them, I suppose, is, is it's said often that there's an earlier kind of a good cop, bad cop dynamic there where Schmidt is obviously very tough, we know, behind the scenes, and Farrell might be the kind of guy that you could maybe sit down and have a chat with and is possibly a little bit more approachable. Do you think there's any kind of difficulty there in that he might have to transition into the bad cop when he's in charge of the whole thing? I, I don't think so, no, because... Faz is well able to, to give it to you if you're not on task. Like, you know, he's, he's a very approachable guy and he's, you know, all the lads love him. But at the same time, if, if you don't do something that he wants you to do or if you're not 
100% on task, he'll let you know uh, just as much as Joe would or anybody else. Um, so I, I don't think he'll need to uh, change the way he is around the squad or anything. I think he'll uh, just be himself and, and he'll be a success. I think he's a great coach with uh, um, a great opportunity for him now after the World Cup, so it's great. Yeah, well, I guess the, the, one of the things would maybe is going to be the difference in this game is like Joe Schmidt's brain. He's so clever come up with these plays. We're going to have a look at the prime example from last year. Um, how much time does he spend on, on those kind of strike plays? Is there a massive emphasis on that on the training ground? Yeah, there is, yeah. Um, you, you, well, on the training ground, you get through them quite a bit, but it's the, the walkthroughs and things like that that uh, a lot of detail and time and effort will be spent on getting the finer details in or around these uh, right during the week of a big game. Um, but you, you see how important they are. You know, they're the difference in winning a match and losing a match sometimes. So mm. um, the boys spend a hell of a lot of time running through them, walking through them, and uh, perfecting them almost. So when come match day that you're, you're nailing them. So, yeah. Yeah, like this is obviously the one from, from last year's Grand Slam. Um, we just want to pick up a few of the points here. There's that kind of tunnel pass between those two forwards off a four-man line-out, slightly unorthodox line-out. Uh, Johnny Sexton gets on the ball. And again, slightly unorthodox, you've got your tight head prop in midfield, so England probably expecting a carry there. But there's so much going on around him. Aki's obviously running that line on his outside. You've got Johnny Sexton coming on the loop line. Stockdale, which we'll see later on, wasn't always the case on that line, even mirroring Johnny's run. And then that great slide of hand from Tyke Furlong just to put Bundyaki through. Really brilliant stuff. But this was, what, three years in the making. It's a great finish from CJ Sanders as well. Really good decision from Aki in behind, because I think... The play was supposed to go out to Gary Ringrose. But this move was three years in the making, and you were actually there the first time Ireland tried it. We're going to have a look um, at the play. This is 2015, um, and there are slight differences. That's actually, I think it's Tommy Bow instead of one of the forwards there, and it's your seven in midfield, Tommy O'Donnell getting on the ball instead of Tyke Furlong. Um, nearly comes off. They run a similar kind of play, but it's just Chris Robshaw there. Makes a really good save. Um, and on the next phase... It probably should get out to the left wing. <laughs> Was I screaming? There he is. <laughs> but uh, they go for the inside pass and, and it fails. But Joe, Joe Schmidt tucks it away. You would have scored. You would have scored. Oh, def- that was a banker of a try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he tucks it away for three years. Like, did he acknowledge that after the game at all and go, oh, this is why we failed in that move? Or did he just move on from it and then bang, he pulls it out? No, he, he'd go through little reasons why it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Um, and, and how to get it to work the next time, you know. But he doesn't bring out these moves every weekend, you know. He, he picks and chooses very cleverly when and where to, to bring them out. So, um, in fairness to him, he's a very, very intelligent coach and he'll, he'll know the smallest, smallest detail about why it should have worked, why it will work, etc. So, yeah. um, fair play to him, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, to, just the, the origin. You're involved in this one. This is a scrum one against Italy, 2017 Six Nations. Lining up on the open side, obviously leaves them without a defender up in the front line there. Um, and as they, as they play off the scrum, goes to 10, it looks like Robbie Henshaw's going to hit that line there. Ringrose comes underneath, it almost looks like a switch line, but you've already made the move into that blindside channel, and poor old Mbanda, probably in a situation he doesn't want to be in <laughs> against the winger. You got him there uh, on the outside. But just the detail, even the lads inside there, mm. screaming for the ball. When Joe kind of, did he, it was a, in a meeting, he says, this is what we're going to do, and this is why. How did the actual, where did it come from, that move? I, don't, I actually don't know. He, I can't remember. No, he, uh, you literally arrive into camp and the moves are already done. You know, yeah. They're just up on the board and 
you'll have your walkthrough and he doesn't ex like he'll explain to you why we're running it and things like that but he just comes up with them himself or the <laughs> coaching team or whatever whoever does it but um i think it was their winger you know if we if we hit up in the midfield their winger would be overly eager to get across to support um so, so it left a, yeah so it left a bit of space for uh me to have a one-on-one -on -one yeah. with the uh with the flanker so um that was the reasoning behind it. There's always reason and hours and hours of analysis he would have went in looking at those wingers and what they do off a first place scrum and he'll cater yeah. a move to facilitate it. Was yeah. he happy with that one? He'd want to be. <laughs> <laughs> Last quick one we want to look at. This again, uh, 2015 I think this is. Midfield scrum, um, simple enough play off it on first phase. Ireland probably not actually looking to break on first phase. 10, 12, 13 um, and hit up there. You're obviously there in the left wing. Henshaw's going to drop out the back actually afterwards, and you're left to hit the ruck. I wonder why he's got big demands of ruck. Mm. Happy enough with that one? Uh, bit sloppy, yeah. <laughs> it's not my forte, but uh, I got rid of him, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Omani's off this, like we saw this just with Connacht actually, a similar move. Omani's at first receiver, and then Henshaw coming from that blind position, uh, just in behind the ruck, tucked in, really smart. I think probably. He said he needs to get a bit of a yeah. That a was block the thing. The Jamie got a. I think I think Jamie got pulled up on that. He, I think he needed to be a bit more upfield, and Joe let him know about it after. <laughs> Those little details, though, yeah, mean yeah. so much. Yeah, oh, minute details, and you think they're nothing, but if you want to perfect the move and, and make sure it works, then you need to be on top of them. And, and there's no better coach to to make sure you're on top of your detail. In fairness, so um, yeah, he wasn't too happy when. One or two moves didn't work out the way they should have. Yeah, it's going to be interesting yeah. to see that, Gav, this weekend, what he has <laughs> up his sleeve for this game. Yeah, how, how much of that um, uh, learning those moves comes down to, as you put it, uh, walking through it and then running through it, and how much of it is actually just looking at a piece of paper or looking at it at, on a board and memorising it almost um, graphically, if you know what I mean? Yeah, a, a lot of it, 90% of it is walking through it and running through it, you know, um, as much as possible so that it almost becomes habit, you know, so when the move is called, Johnny calls the move and everybody knows straight away, boom, what you need to do and, uh, you know, how to perfect the move. So um, it's routine, it's habit over and over and over and over again. It can get quite monotonous and a bit boring, but, you know, that's the, that's the level of international rugby and they're the small margins and details you need to be able to, to get that extra percent to win a game, so... Spot on. Uh, we will get your questions in a moment, and we have a pair of tickets, obviously, to give away as well. Uh, just to touch upon the other games, it kicks off, it all kicks off tomorrow in Paris, France against Wales. It's a, a fairly mouthwatering clash to, uh, to kick the whole thing off. People are talking about it being the most competitive Six Nations ever, which I think they say nearly every year, but you could make <laughs> a case for it certainly this year based on the fact that Scotland are, are looking decent. Wales, to my mind, will probably win the second thing, um, and we'll be there thereabouts, as will England. Your thoughts on that game, firstly, and obviously living in France and having a lot of uh, teammates now that play for France, um, how do you rate France's chances in the, in the competition overall? Yeah, I, it's a bit up and down for me with France. I, I'm, they have an unbelievable uh, player group to pick from. Uh, the talent they have is second to none. It's incredible. Um, it's just... I don't know if they know their identity as a team yet, you know, um, how they want to play. is it's, It changes all the time from week to week, and I don't really think there, there is the structure in place or whatever they need to do to, to perform like this consistently. 
So, um, you know, they'd have a big performance and then they could lose to Fiji, you know, or then they could go out and beat England or Wales tomorrow night and then they could lose to Italy the following week, you know. It's just, there's just a level of inconsistency that doesn't make me too, too confident. But if I'm looking at team sheets and I'm going, well, I'd pick France, you know. So it's a, it's a tricky one. If they find that consistency, they'll be very tough to stop. Um, but Wales, Wales have come good too. Um, they're nine wins in a row or something at the moment. They're, they're, um, they're a pretty hot team too. But I think going to Paris, I've got to fancy the French. Even if they underperform, I still fancy them to, uh, to get the win. Mm, it's an exciting team selection as well, isn't it? The Toulouse kind of crew coming into it almost, and Entomac, 19-year-old, oh. like that's going to be a big ask for him because even in the Leinster game, the, the Champions Cup game, almost physically it was, it was a big ask for him, so obviously a, a massive day for him. But it seems like they're trying to get that new blood into the team, and, and certainly with Toulouse's revival, it makes sense to have a, an element of that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, um, Intermac is a, a very good player for such a young man. Um, he's been flying this season. Um, but that's it. There's a new level of confidence and optimism with these young guys they're bringing in, you know, with, with the Intermax, Baptiste Serrans, the Duponts, all these guys, they're, they're fresh faces, and it's like a new generation of French rugby that they're trying to, to reignite. Um, and it's, it's, it's probably a little bit late, you know, with the World Cup coming up so soon, but they've got a few fresh faces there that can definitely pose some problems, and uh, Wales will probably find that out tomorrow night, so uh, it'll mm -hmm. be an interesting watch. Yeah, and their under-20s team, France, obviously last year was exceptional, winning the World Cup and the Six Nations, so hopefully we see them emerge as stronger contenders. What about Scotland? Like, as you mentioned, Finn Russell, superb player. Do you feel that they're in a position to contend for a championship this year? Um, I, I think they're in a position to, to get a few scalps to, to win a couple of big games, but in terms of contending, I, I don't think they're there yet. Um, they'll be very dangerous in the World Cup, I think. It's probably just a couple of months too early, but um, Gregor Townsend runs a tight ship, Finn, Finn be telling me. Uh, <laughs> not too dissimilar from Joe, so okay. um, they'll be well on task. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think in order for them to win the tournament, I think that's above their ceiling, really, realistically, this uh, tournament. But with players like Finn in your team and Stuart Hogg in your team and, and, and these great players, they can, uh, they can definitely uh, pick up a few wins, unsuspected wins, you know, or unexpected wins. So they'll be a dangerous side. Yeah, it's tough for Italy though as well, isn't it? Like they haven't won since 2015 in the championship. It was actually away to Scotland last time they did it. Like having seen the Italian teams over the last couple of years, do you feel that the quality of player they even possess is, is increasing? Do you feel like they are making genuine progress? Yeah, they're making progress. Um, I don't think they'll win the tournament or anything, <laughs> but uh, they're definitely making progress. Um, Conor Shea is doing good things with Italy, you know. Um, he wouldn't have the player pool or selection to choose from like France, England or Ireland, but um, I think he's doing the best with what he has and, um, you know, Italy have always been notorious for picking up one or two big wins, you know, they beat South Africa not so long ago, um, you know, they beat Ireland before over in Italy, you know, not so long ago, so they're, they're always dangerous at home, but realistically, I think they need to improve a lot before uh, World Cup if they want to, uh, if they want to do anything, if they want to win a game even. Yeah. Um, we might get the uh, mics down the aisles there just to get questions from the audience. A couple that have been tweeted in already. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, there's a question here from uh, Dave or at Dahi Healy on Twitter. Uh, he asks, what do you plan to do after rugby? Would you be interested in going into punditry alongside Raj and Murray Kinsella? <laughs> <laughs> 
Depends how much we're talking. Not as much as him. No, no, you have all the money. Um, Rogers is so Potentially, yeah, yeah. Roger will be tough now to match. He's very good behind the mic. Um, but I don't know. I don't know really what I want to do yet. Um, a few things outside of rugby that keep me interested. But um, right now I'm just focusing all on rugby and enjoying myself, enjoying my time with my family and things like that. And whatever happens after. I'd be pretty laid back now in terms of no. life. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> whatever happens, happens. Fair enough. Uh, one here from Gary, uh, at Gareth Nisi, or Nacy, sorry, Gary, it's not Gareth. Um, uh, he says, short for a few for tag rugby next week, any chance of a sub? <laughs> <laughs> if there's three points, I come down. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We'll get some questions from the audience. So we've got a pair of tickets to give away with thanks to Guinness for the big one this weekend. Um, where are we starting? Just shout, yeah. The back there. Um, this is a question for Simon and Murray. So obviously big year for Ireland this year with the World Cup coming up. And there was an article on BBC Sport today where Paul O'Connell quoted that one of the first steps Ireland need to take is actually to retain the Six Nations title. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether this actually is the case, or do you think we actually should maybe lose a game or two to see where the gaps are, where Ireland need to improve in order to win the World Cup? Yeah, I'd, I'd say there will be an element of trying to add a couple of more options to the squad. Even with Henshaw going at 15, the easier thing probably to do is just bring Rob Kearney back in, even without a lot of game time. I think you might see Joey Carberry get a start even at some stage while not picking a weakened team, and I don't think that's the case anymore, because the depth is quite strong now, I think you can rotate a couple of players, potentially in the back row even as well, and learn a little bit more about your squad without, say, sacrificing the championship. Yeah, I actually would think, personally, that the World Cup is the more important goal. As Paul O'Connell says, there's a psychological advantage in, in backing up your Grand Slam with another championship, but I think whatever is necessary for Ireland to be in a better position in the World Cup, and that certainly, in my, in my mind, means giving some of those squad players a little bit more opportunity on the pitch, as I say, Carberry and other couple of starts. Because no matter what, no matter how well you, you prepare your players, how well you rest them under the management system, there's going to be injuries again. Hopefully not five before a quarterfinal of your key players. But that will happen again in the World Cup. And I just hope that every single player who steps up into those uh, injury positions is, is as well prepared as they can. I think they can use the Six Nations really smartly in that way. Yeah, I'd agree. I think um, squad rotation will be bigger this Six Nations than it has been in the past just with the, the, with the World Cup. Um, and I think uh, a lot of young guys really do need game time because it's, uh, it's the difference between qualifying from a quarterfinal and not. Um, so if you think about it, there's probably only nine or ten games before the, the World Cup actually kicks off. So that's not a lot of time for, for the second uh, string of players who are going to be asked to fit in to, to get that game time. So um, I'd say against Italy, against Scotland, um, maybe even next weekend, you never know, but a lot of players do need a bit more game time, I think. Anybody else? Very good question. It was a great question. There's one down the back and the left there, I think. Uh, Simon, what would you give to be involved in the World Cup squad and was it worth it to join Racing and miss out on it? He's not messing around this one. Big question. Oh, yeah. Big question. <laughs> Brave. <laughs> well, what would I give? Um, I'd give 100% if I was, <laughs> if I was asked to play. <laughs> um, that's, that's about it. I, I'm not going to give much more. Um, but uh, I'd never regret my decision. No, I, um, 
I, I wouldn't have went if I thought there would have been a tinge of regret um, beforehand. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy. I said even earlier, even if Ireland win the World Cup and I'm not involved, you know, I wouldn't regret my decision. It's been, um, it's been a huge life experience, first and foremost, and from a rugby point of view, it's, um, it's been hugely exciting and something I wouldn't change for the world. Uh, it's always been a dream, as I said. So if I have the opportunity to tick off a dream of mine, then I, I bite off your hand to do that. So, nice one. Very, very well handled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Artfully, you sidestepped a couple of the... Uh, Thanks. Yeah, that was good. Next. If you look at the other um, European teams, so go back to the Heineken Cup, what are the other teams that really impress you? You're obviously playing a French team. What other teams have really... Uh, stood out to you now? Um, Saracens are consistently uh, very dangerous in European rugby. Um, Leinster and Toulouse. Um, they, it's very impressive that Toulouse, that, that, that game against Leinster in Toulouse, I thought they really showed what they're made of. They showed a lot of character to, to beat a really difficult uh, Leinster team when a lot of other French teams would have probably laid down. So um, they're definitely going to be a big threat for us in the quarters and a very dangerous team this tournament. Um, and Leinster, unfortunately, are playing good rugby. <laughs> um, so uh, they're going to be very, very dangerous too. Very impressive. Leinster, Saracens and uh, Toulouse are my uh, top three dangerous teams. Yeah. The, the other English teams were disappointed again, weren't they? Like mm. Exeter have just failed on the European stage, really. Like Having talked a, bit, a lot about transferring their premiership form over, Gloucester obviously didn't really feature either. Saracens... Exceptional team, but the rest of the English clubs definitely have a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, it's just Saracens, really. They're the only threat in European rugby from an English point of view. Um, and, yeah, it's fair play to Leinster and uh, probably uh, <laughs> Racing 92. Really <laughs> <laughs> There's a gentleman up the front and a couple in the middle as well. Hard to admit the Leinster. Oh, it kills me. <laughs> Guys, first off, thanks very much for tonight. It's been very, very enjoyable so far. Um, apologies if you've been asked this question numerous times, Simon, but um, there was a small clip at the start about the 2013 Lions tour when you had to ring Rob Penny. <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, what happened when he rang you back? What was the aftermath of that? Oh, afterwards, um, so, yeah, we had a bit of commotion. It was a bit of fun. And afterwards, he rang me back. I, he actually kind of knew it was... Uh, like a challenge or a forfeit, so um, I had to explain to him that I actually didn't want to be captain and it was only a joke. Um, but he took it. Oh, I was just one on one. I had left. I had left in a panic and a sweat. I had to get out. <laughs> but he handled it really well, like a champion. Yeah, yeah. He was a real nice fella, easy going. So um, I was able to pick up the phone and sort out the mess I made. What about what about the bit on the pitch? Like when. Like, did it come into your head, all right, I'll just have a bit of a laugh here with Conor Murray, or how did that, how did that come into your head? Yeah, um, I lost the plot a little bit there, <laughs> in fairness, um, telling Murr to kick out the ball with 10 seconds left on the clock, you know, thinking that it would be funny and he'd actually do it, but when he did it, I was like, oh my God. Because <laughs> 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 he, looks, he looks so pissed off. Thank God we won the game, because it was close at halftime. If we lost that match, oh my goodness, the coaches, <laughs> the coaches found it funny anyway. I got my punishment, but um, just thinking back on it, I was actually a madman. I can't believe it. <laughs> Good thing you didn't do in Joe Schmidt's Ireland. Too. Oh, I'd be long retired. Well, I am retired. <laughs> <laughs>
there's a couple of giants up the front here. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Murray's reaction on the pitch. Like. Yeah, 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 it was very good. <laughs> Incredible. How's it going, Simon? Uh, you've been known definitely on social media to be fond of an old rap. Um, and uh, also if you've, you've featured in a few uh, of your own Kanye West uh, rap videos in the past yes. with some of your colleagues. Uh, is there any in the pipeline with your, uh, with your French teammates? Nice. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'm auditioning a few of them. It'll be interesting to see. Um, but Teddy Thomas, yeah, he'd be, he'd be similar to me. He likes the music, you know, thinks he has a bit of swag or whatever. So I think I could get him for a little rap video. If, if the people want it, I'll give it to them. <laughs> You're loving your celebrations as well on the pitch. You yeah, really good them. fun. Very good fun, yeah. Um, it's just, it's just part of the spectacle, you know, it's part of the entertainment that yeah. you're almost encouraged to go out there. The president wants to see that, you know, it's champagne, rugby, it's having fun, it's enjoying yourself. So I had to adjust to it, but I did. Anybody else? We're not forgetting anybody. Oh, somebody here. And we'll get the lads' predictions in a couple of minutes, and then we will wrap. Hi. Uh, do you think it's almost unfair on a national level to have such a centralised player contracts, player welfare, etc., versus the other countries like England and France that have much more decentralised structure that Ireland, for example, can manage national team players on a club level? Unfair. Um, well, I think it's just uh, pressing from the RFU at the very start of professionalism. They went down that route. And it's worked out unbelievably well. And like, that's the thing, I guess. Like, Joe Schmidt is a brilliant rugby coach. There's no doubt about that. But he has benefited from being in, in the right place at the right time and leading a really good structure to where our Irish rugby is now. Like, obviously, those central contracts are massive for it. The English players are playing a lot more minutes. Like, yeah. you played so many games over in yeah. France. The yeah. same when Johnny Sexton went over there. He was coming back fatigued to Ireland camp. As well as that, the underage system has been really well streamlined. So the under-20s are bringing through players like... Uh, Ryan Stockdale, for example, Porter, three guys who are really important to that squad now, even Jordan Larmer now, guys who are going to be in the World Cup squad without a doubt. Um, and probably Joe Schmidt didn't have a huge amount, although knowing him, he probably was scouting them when they were 12 or 13. <laughs> like, he's <laughs> going to be on my team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he has benefited from being there with a really good system. And I mean, you've seen the, I guess, player welfare isn't as much of a concern in France because you'll play every weekend if you're, if you're available. Yeah, it's a little bit different because. The, the presidents are involved in France, you know, so the president wants his club to win. He's invested X amount of money and, and he's paying big bucks for big players and he wants to see his team win week in, week out. It's a really competitive league, the top 14. There's a, years and years and years of history behind it and um, it's, it's difficult for the French Federation to say, here, rest him at the weekend. The president's like, no, I won't. I'm paying him, <laughs> you know, so yeah. I want him to play and I want to, to win this match. So there's a, the, the relationships with club and country are different in France and, and it's definitely a leg up for Ireland in terms of being able to protect the players and guarantee yourself big performances in the big matches when they really matter. But in uh, other leagues, it's, it's more of a slog and, and it's more of a... <laughs> Presidents and, and owners and people paying for uh, player services, they, yeah. they don't get to rest them as much as they maybe national teams might want. Yeah, yeah. I guess just in terms of the question, it is an advantage though, mm. definitely, because even like Joe Schmidt can go down to provincial training, well he may not always be welcome 
or he can have a bit of a say <laughs> in some of the selections potentially, although he insists he has nothing to do with the selections. Um, and there is a bit of friction there between the provinces and, and the RFU wishes attorneys, but definitely plays to their advantage. Uh, we'll go through the questions and we'll get you, uh, Simon, to pick the winner of the two tickets. So um, is there a case to be made for Ireland sacrificing the Six Nations with a view to winning the World Cup? Uh, what would you give to play in the Rugby World Cup for Ireland? The other European teams that have impressed you, uh, the question about the phone call to Rob Penny, um, are you planning any raps with your racing teammates and uh, is the centralised system unfair? So which one stands out call. to you there? Big call. Match tickets on the I line. I mean, you're making or breaking people's weekends. Yeah, Not to put is, pressure on you. These things are gold dust. Like, these tickets are ungettable. <laughs> um, I, I, I actually thought the, the first question was very good um, and very interesting you know was, I think that uh, person deserves it woman down the back no. super We'll get those to you in a couple of moments because uh, we're about to wrap, but we have to first ask your predictions for the weekend. Um, I think I know the answer, but uh, Murray, how yeah. do you fancy Ireland's chances then? On I think Saturday? Ireland are going to win by seven or eight points, I think. Um, so if we mentioned about them being a smarter team, more cohesive, I think they're in a better position to do that. So yeah, I'm going Ireland. I'll go Ireland too. I think it'll probably be like six all, nine six or something at half time. And I think there'll be one big set play or one big line-out or maul that's going to get a, a crucial score. And uh, Ireland just to get over the line by four or five points. Your picks for the championships then? For, sorry, for the championship. Who's going to win it overall, do you reckon? Yeah, I'm going same answer. Uh, I think Wales will feature strongly. I don't think there'll be a grand slam this year. Potentially even Ireland could lose that last game in Wales, but I think they'll have done enough by that stage to, to claim the championship. Wales' schedule and fixture list is definitely to their advantage. Um, uh, they'll be very dangerous to knock over at home. But I think if Ireland rotate a lot and give that experience for the World Cup, then I don't know if they'll win the tournament. But if they uh, stick to their guns and go 100% to win the tournament, then I, I think they're the best team in it. What do you think, guys? <laughs> Italy! Italy! <laughs> So it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Thanks really, very really much. appreciate Thanks it. Really right. Thanks, Thanks. 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 Thanks a million to all of you for coming along as well and for the brilliant questions. It's uh, the standard of questions we get on the rugby Excellent. podcast and at these shows is remarkable. Uh, just want to thank Glenvey Holmes, uh, who sponsored the event. We want to thank Glenisk, who gave us the jersey, and Guinness, who gave us the tickets as well. Um, and that is it. I'll obviously thank you to the great people at Liberty Hall for having us here and for putting in all the hard work alongside our producer, own Luke. Um, that's it for us. Enjoy the rugby over the weekend and uh, over the next couple of weeks, indeed. And we will catch you at the next one. Best of luck. Thanks very much. <laughs>